Scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-13. through 13. Peter writes, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed, was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, beginning being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May God bless the reading of His Word. You know, if you've ever played uh, chess or checkers or any type of strategic board game, uh, you've experienced the progression of the game. You know, you have the beginning of the game, and then at some point you have the middle game, and then you get to this place that's called the end game. And the end game in chess, for example, is when most of the pieces have been removed, but there's still some pieces on the board But you're in the last stage. I mean, you know, okay, it's just a matter of time, a few more strategic moves, and the game is over. Well, when we look at the world, uh, we obviously know there there was a beginning. You know, God created the world at some point. There was a beginning. And then when you read the Old Testament from Genesis 3, let's say, all the way through Malachi, you realize that's the middle game. You had the beginning, then you had the middle game. And then when you read about the coming of Christ, you realize, okay, now we're in the end game. All the pieces, most of the pieces have been taken off the board. There's still some strategic pieces left, but we're in the end game. You know, the Bible refers to this as the last days or the church age. Some refer to it as the church age or the age of grace as we wait the second coming of Christ. So when Christ comes, we read that, He will come and He will judge the world. And then He will bring about its renewal. And Peter understood this progression, which is why he was very troubled by the ideas that were being taught in the churches. These heretics, these false teachers, were teaching that Jesus is not returning. 
And there, there will be no judgment. In other words, there is no end game. The world will simply just continue on as it always has been. Look with me again at 2 Peter 3, 1-4. Peter writes, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so these teachers, these scoffers, he calls them, were saying Jesus is not coming back. There is no final judgment. And what's interesting here, if you notice, Peter links... This belief that Jesus is not coming back, there is no final judgment. He links that belief with following sinful desires. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense if you don't believe that there is more to life than this life. If you think this life is all there is, then you can see how it can be linked with your sinful desires. In other words, you can just do whatever you want to do. There's no second coming of Christ. There's no judgment of the world. And one scholar once said that three things tend to happen when you throw out the belief in the second coming of Christ and the judgment of the world. He bases his three observations on epitaphs written on tombs. The first epitaph reads, I was nothing, I am nothing, so you who are still alive, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, you know, if this world is all that there is, then make the most of it while you can, Because there's nothing after you leave this world. That's it. You're done. There is no life after death. The second epitaph reads, Once I had no existence, now I have none. I am not aware of it. It does not concern me. In other words, if the end of life is extinction, and in the end we're not even aware that we are extinct, then nothing in life ultimately matters. So do whatever you want. The third epitaph reads, What is below? Deep darkness. But what of the paths upward? All alive. And the God of the underworld? Mere talk. Then we're lost. So we're simply adrift in a kind of lostness. Coming from nowhere, on the way to nowhere, And these ways of seeing the world and living out your life in the world are fueled by a belief that rejects the second coming of Christ, rejects this idea that you'll stand before God. And so to guard against this error and ungodly living, Peter writes this letter to remind Christians that Jesus is coming back and there will be a judgment. And he uses four arguments for his reminder. His first argument he uses is from history. Look at 2 Peter 3, 5-7. through He writes, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter's referencing the flood that's recorded in Genesis chapter 6. And his argument is that when you look back in history, 
you see that God brought destruction upon the world in a great way through water at a time when people didn't believe that He would do that. So they weren't expecting God to do that. They didn't think He would do that. And yet that's exactly what He did. And so you see the reason too for that destruction through the flood was the sinfulness of mankind. And what he's arguing here is that this, the natural world isn't independent from God. But that God is involved in his creation. And is, in his timing, he will bring about the end to the world as we know it. But he's not going to use water. He's going to use fire, according to Peter. So in Scripture, as you read through the Scripture, you realize even in the Old Testament, you read that God is a consuming fire. And you read in the prophets that they saw fire as God's tool of judgment. And you think about fire, you know, the purpose of fire is both to destroy, and it destroys things, but it also purifies as well. In the second century, Melito of Sardis sum, summarized this passage and he said this. He says, there was a flood of water and there will be a flood of fire. And the earth will be burnt up together with its mountains and the just will be delivered from its fury as their fellows in the ark were saved from the water of the deluge. So for those who have faith in Jesus, he's our saving vessel, so to speak, that allows us to pass through the fire of judgment and come out on the other side pure and holy and live with God forever. So that's the, the first big point that you need to consider is, are you in Christ? I mean, he's the vessel that helps you move through the fire of judgment and, will, and allows you to be in God's family forever. So the first question, the most important one is, are you in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ? So Peter's writing to those who have, in fact, done that. They've placed their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. He's their Savior. And he's saying that when Christ comes and judges the world with fire, you will pass through the fire because you are in Christ. But those who are not in Christ will face the judgment. His second argument he uses is Scripture. 2 Peter 3, 8, he writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So Peter's drawing from an Old Testament passage in Psalm 90, verse 4, that reads this way. It says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it, has, when it is past." Or as a watch in the night. In other words, a thousand years are like hours to God. And yet hours are like a thousand years. And Peter wants us to understand that God just sees time differently than we do. And we've all experienced this to some degree. I mean, we, we know God's timing is not always our timing, right? In the light of eternity, Peter's telling us that a, a thousand years are like a day. And yet at the same time, God sees time so intently, with such intensity... That even a day is like a thousand years. You see, some in Peter's day believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. And when these kind of first generation Christians began to die, people began to wonder, well, is Jesus really coming back? And so people began to vocalize that even in their teaching that perhaps he's not coming back. And what Peter's saying is that you know, God's timing and your timing are not the same. So yes, we are waiting. And we may not see Christ's return even in our own lifetime. 
but we continue to wait in faith, knowing that in light of eternity, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to God. One writer said it this way, Faith orients a man to eternity, whereas scoffers remain children of time. In other words, when you embrace the character of God and and who He is and how He sees things in the world, you realize the eternality of God. When you place your faith in Christ, you orient yourself now to eternity, how God sees things. Whereas without Christ, you're just bound by time. You think this is all there is. And so perhaps one of those epitaphs would be uh, written about you. For his third argument... He uses the character of God. Look at verse 9. And Peter tells us a little bit about why Jesus hasn't returned yet. He writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So on the one hand, you you read the, the book of Revelation. And you get to the end of the book of Revelation, and the Apostle John says, Come, Lord Jesus. You know, he's saying, I'm ready for you to come back. And some of you would say, Yes, Lord, I'm ready for you to come back today. But then you realize, Well, what about my friend that doesn't know the Lord? Or what about my wife or my husband or my child that doesn't know the Lord? And then you say, Well, Lord, don't come back yet. <laughs> Be, not yet. Be patient. So on the one hand, we're torn. We're like, yes, come Lord Jesus, come. And then on the other hand, we're like, well, we would like the Lord to be patient because we want to see other people come to to know Christ and experience His redemption. And that's what Peter's saying. Yes, we're waiting. Yes, Christ has not returned yet, but you need to understand the motive behind it is patience so that more and more people may reach repentance, he says. One scholar said it this way, he says, uh, It is not slackness, but long-suffering that delays the consummation of all history and holds the door open to repentant sinners, even repentant scoffers. Not impotence, but mercy is the reason for God's delay. So God is patient with us. He's patient with our friends. He's patient with our city. He's patient with our nation, our world. Because he wants more people to experience redemption. So let me just speak to those of you who may not know Christ. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ. I want you to realize God is patient. And He he is patient. He is extending mercy. He's leaving the door open for you to place your faith in Christ. To receive forgiveness of your sin. To experience new life with Him. Life that will last forever. He is patient. But Peter's also saying that door will close in one of two ways. Either you will die and that door will shut, or Christ will return and that door will be shut. But in the meantime, God mercifully leaves the door open for you and for those you know that don't know Christ. And so now I think you're beginning to even think, those of you who know Christ, you're beginning to think about well, I wonder what I should be doing in the meantime while I'm waiting for this door to close. 
And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But I do want to encourage those of you who may not know the Lord, who've never placed their faith in Christ. Paul said it this way, today is the day of salvation. (laughs) Which makes a lot of sense when you consider you don't know what tomorrow holds, right? So we, why not come to Christ today? Why not give your life to Him today? And begin to experience new life even now before He returns. For his fourth argument, he uses the promise of Christ. Look at verse 10. He writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Peter's thinking back, and he's he's quoting the teaching of Jesus found in Matthew 24, verses 43 and 44. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the, of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his, he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So Peter is remembering that teaching of Jesus and he's reminding the churches, uh, yes, God is patient. A day to the Lord is like a thousand years thousand years or like a day but at the same time he's going to come like a thief you're not going to like the days of noah people were just going about life and then the flood hits Uh, it's going to be like that and so he says you need to be ready and so while god is patient and we now have this opportunity you know to respond to his offer of salvation this opportunity will come to an end uh, and it will be like the coming of a thief in the night And it will bring about what Peter says is this cataclysmic event. This event known in the scripture as the day of the Lord. Or the day of God. And it will be a time when we're all exposed for who we are. And what we've done. And the earth will go through this process of renewal. Where the curse of sin will be broken. Which will make way for righteousness to reign and so what we see in Peter's argument here, he's, he's argued from history, he references the flood, he argue, argues from Scripture, he talks about uh, how God sees time, he, he argues from uh, the character of God and the words of Christ to remind us that there will be a second coming of Jesus and there will be judgment. And then he concludes his past, this passage with how belief in the second coming of Christ And the renewal of all things should affect our lives. So, in light of this belief that we know that Jesus is coming back and He's going to bring about judgment and the renewal of all things, how should that affect our daily lives? Look at verses 11 through 13. He says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, if you and I believe that this world is not all that there is, you know, if, you, if you believe that Jesus is coming back to judge the world and bring about its renewal, then that should impact you and that should impact me in several ways. The first one is that it should impact how we live, right? Because what this means is that this world is not all there is. This life is not all there is to life. 
that there's something more. And so it should impact how you live today. And Peter talks about if you believe that there's more to life than this life, that Jesus is coming back, that God is going to judge the world, and Jesus is going to bring about the renewal, then perhaps we should live for God. In other words, live for what's important to Him, what pleases God. We should live with eternity in mind. Lives of holiness and godliness. Lives set apart for God because we're going to be with Him forever. Let's start living with Him and for Him now. So we should seek to behave in a way that lines up with the Word of God. How God has made Himself known and what He says life should be all about. So if there's more to life than this life, we should not only be living for the present, but also for the future, right? If this life isn't all there is. Now if this life is all there is, do whatever you want to. (laughs) But if there's more to life than this life, that should impact how you live your life. We should live our lives to the glory of God. You know, there's a well-known quote that goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So for those of you who are in Christ, those who believe in Jesus, you know, our, our focus should be primarily on investing in things that last for eternity. Yes, you know, you should work, you should buy groceries, pay your bills, go to school. But all these activities should be guided by a relationship with the Lord. We should see all these activities through an eternal lens. Even how we go about the simplest of things. We should have that eternity, that eternal lens that we see them through. So our daily lives should be guided by the reality that this world is coming to an end. And only what's done for Christ will last. So only what's done for Christ will be able to pass through the fire. So be careful. I want you to just think about this. Now just be careful what you're living for. It's so easy to get caught up and spend all your time and resources and energy living for things that will burn up. And these can be good things. But I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life just accumulating something for a wood pile that's going to be set on fire. You know, enjoy the things of life, okay? Work, pay your bills, buy great, do all those things, great. But your focus, my focus needs to be on the Lord and what He deems important. And we know that what is important to Him is people. He's patient, not willing that any should perish. And so he's got this window of opportunity, this door open for people to come to Christ. And so we should be thinking about how we participate in the mission of God in light of eternity instead of just accumulating things that will not make it through the fire. So just be careful what you're living your life for. You know, are you, are you living for things that are just going to burn up? Or are you investing in things that will last forever? So we need to live for eternity, live for Christ and help others to know Him. Peter also tells us in verse 12 that while we wait, now we are waiting, while we wait, we can actually play a role. And this is interesting here, I think. I mean, just just look at this verse, verse 12. He's saying that as you wait, as believers in Christ, as you wait, you can actually play a role in the hastening of the coming of the day of God. 
So in other words, our waiting for God to send Christ, bring about judgment and the renewal of all things, our waiting is not a passive waiting, but it is active cooperation with God in the redemption of society. So how do we hasten the day of God? How how can we cooperate with God in the redemption of society? Well, the Bible says one way we can do that is through prayer. Remember the the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray in Matthew 6.10? He tells them to pray to God, the Father, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, you're praying for the return of Christ. I mean, you're praying that God's kingdom will come in its fullness. And then in the book of Revelation, Re- Revelation 8, verses 1-5, through 5, just listen to this picture as he, as he describes it, John describes it. Try to visualize this. He says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. So he's standing at the altar with this golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer. Listen to what he offers it with. With the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning in an earthquake. So John is recording that somehow, some way, as we pray to God, your kingdom come, your will be done. He is going to use these prayers to bring about the second coming. And so our prayers are involved in the hastening of the day of God. The second way we can hasten the day of God is through evangelism. Now evangelism is simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. That's what it is. Nothing complicated about it. It's just you're telling someone about Jesus and how they can know Him personally. That's evangelism. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus is sharing about when the end would come. And one of the prerequisites based on this passage mentioned in verse 10 is this. Jesus says that before the end will come, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And then in a parallel passage in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this in chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So, the way we hasten the coming of the Lord is we share the gospel with our neighbors and the nations. That's how we're involved in hastening the day of God. And so here in our church, you know, we seek to do that in several ways. First of all, we believe that it's every Christian's responsibility to be a witness for Christ. If you know Christ, then you can share Christ. And we believe it's all of our responsibilities to do that. We have a responsibility to tell those around us about Christ. Jesus, And we also believe that we should go to other areas besides just Augusta to do that. That's one reason why we're having this Atlanta mission trip. We're taking a a group to Atlanta to seek to reach people in downtown Atlanta. 
because we want them also to know the Lord. And so we're going to be partnering with the Tapestry Church and we're going to help them extend their gospel reach in the city. Another way we participate in evangelism is by supporting missionaries that go to hard to reach places through prayer and financial support. And so when you give to our church, and we prayed for the offering this morning, you give your money. A portion of every dollar you give goes to support missions, both locally, throughout the country, as well as overseas. So we are actively involved financially in giving to missions. So as you contribute to the mission of this church, your contributions make their way to the nation's. And we also collect special offerings throughout the year, like the Annie Armstrong offering and the Lottie Moon offering, state missions offering. We collect money because we want to see more people reached with the gospel. So Peter's telling us that Jesus is coming back. It's the main focus of the passage. He's coming back. He will judge the world. He'll bring about renewal. And in the meantime, we need to be living for Him, living godly lives and seek to hasten that day of the Lord through prayer and evangelism. And so we still have some time. You know, we're past the beginning. We're past the middle of the game. You know, we are in the end game. But there's still some pieces left on the board, right? And so we need to get busy. We need to be active, not passive in our waiting. And so while you wait, I want you to think about this. Are you cooperating with God in His redemptive plan? I mean, are you seeing your life through that eternal lens. Will you pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Will you share the gospel with those around you and support those who will take the gospel to the world? You know, we need to we do need to step up our involvement. Step up our involvement in what God is doing in our city and around the world. So a a couple simple things are, are these. You know, who could you invite to church next week? Is there someone you could just invite to come hear God's Word? Meet God's people? Who can you invite to church next week? Who can you share the Gospel with this week? Do you know anybody that doesn't know Christ? Then share the Gospel with them. Invite them to church. I mean, is there a missionary you can pray for or support this week? I mean, let's, let's leverage our resources for the furtherance of the gospel. Let us be active this week in hastening the day of the Lord because only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Let us pray. Father, help us to see the world as you see the world. Help us to see that you are being so very patient with this world with our city, with our neighbors, with our family members. Help us to see that the door is open. This this offer of salvation has been extended. Lord, help us to take that offer to those we know. Help us to pray for those that don't know you. Help us to support those who will take the gospel beyond our own reach to those who don't know Christ. Lord, help us to live with an eternal perspective. And help us to realize that this world is coming to a close. And Jesus will return. And we will all stand before Him. And only those who know Christ as Savior will pass through the fire. 
and be with you forever. Help us to realize that and help that to change our priorities. Help us to live for you. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to share the gospel. Help us to invest what we have, our time, our talents, our treasure, so that more people can know you and experience your grace and mercy through Christ. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.